Hello and welcome to Unmuted Unmastered, the most controversial podcast on Spotify. This week I'm joined by James. Hello. Tom. Hello. And me, I'm Will. Uh, in this episode, we're reviewing the new Always album, Blue Rev. I've got the upcoming releases you need to know about, but first, the news. Tom, what have you got for us? Off to a great start tonight. In the news this week, everybody's favourite company, Spotify, has just released their Q3 results, and they have had reasonable growth over Q3. Um, Q3, for anyone who doesn't do business, those are the three months from uh, the three months before September, so September, August, and July. Over that period, Spotify gained 7 million premium uh, subscribers worldwide. That means that they've added 15 million over the course of 2022 so far. This news is coming from Music Business Worldwide, if you want to have a closer look at it for yourself. Um, intriguing for a couple of reasons. Firstly, Spotify is, is getting a bit bigger and therefore is gaining more monthly revenue from its users. A back-of-the-napkin calculation would mean that well, certainly 7 million subscribers paying somewhere in the region of $10 a month for their subscription is going to mean, well, about $70 million in additional revenue for Spotify every month if those users stay around. Um, the other interesting thing is the 7 million is quite a lot to gain over three months. That represents about half their growth for the whole of 2022. Um, I don't know whether that is a usual trend, whether users come back to the platform after the summer festival season or after some particular launches of albums. I don't know, but maybe there's some sort of um, behavioral uh, examination there, which I'm sure Spotify is already doing and has already done, I would suspect. Um, the other thing to put into context here is that they've gained 15 million subscribers over 2022, which means that they now have 195 million subscribers uh, in total. So they've gained, by my calculations, about 7% this year. They've grown, they've grown by about 7% so far this year, which isn't too bad, but it's also not like crazy figures. It's not that far away from being zero. Reason that's interesting is that uh, consider that Netflix got themselves into a load of trouble a couple of months ago because they weren't gaining any new subscribers at all um, in the world of these big tech and entertainment companies. If you are not growing, you are going to start losing very, very soon. Uh, and that will spook all of your investors who have poured money into it, any of the uh, people who um, are decision makers in your company are going to get much more nervous about taking risks because suddenly you're not getting the growth that you used to. It's interesting that Spotify has been able to not so much buck the trend, but is being able, is able to keep itself in um, a positive frame here. It's able to keep growing in spite of other companies struggling to improve uh, their subscriber base. Related to this, uh, during um, the same investors call where the Q3 uh, results were announced, Spotify is also wondering about um, increasing their prices ever so slightly. Um, Daniel Ek, on the, uh, the CEO of Spotify on the Q3 earnings call, mentioned that Apple Music and YouTube Music have both put up their uh, subscription rates. Not by a lot, only by a dollar each, I believe it is. Certainly, um, Apple Plus has increased the... Um, their all-encompassing Apple One subscription by $1 a month. Uh, during the Q3 earnings call, Daniel X said, quote, when our competitors uh, are increasing their prices, that's really good for us because, again, with our deep engagement that we have and the lowest churn of any competitor, we will likely fare better. Dot, dot, dot. Our users aren't going anywhere and they move away from our platform much more slowly than they do Netflix or Disney Plus or Spotify or, or you know, not Spotify, anything but Spotify. Um we're in a pretty good position here. If we did want to raise our prices, we could. And that means that, you know, again, go back to that little example I gave you, 7 million new subscribers over Q3 this year, instead of whatever it was, 70 million, uh, back of a napkin calculation, it's now closer to 77 million, you know, multiple of that versus their whole user base. Suddenly they're making a lot more money and no one's going to complain about it. That's just the way that these businesses tend to work. But I find it interesting that... Um, They've waited until competition, uh, that is Apple Music and um, YouTube, who I don't think are doing as well as them, elected to raise their prices to go, yeah, we'll do the same. 
Um, so Spotify is indicating that they're actually in a very, very good position at the moment, in spite of everything going on in the world. They seem to be doing all right. The, in the back of my mind, although I don't think it's going to happen, is does that mean that artists might get compensated a little bit more in future? Probably not, but we can hope. And it's also an interesting question, just like if prices are going to go up, probably by not much, like a dollar or two a month, how much more are people willing to spend? How much would you spend for unlimited music access? Because when you put it that way, I don't mind spending a bit, as long as the artists get compensated for it. Um, but there we go, Spotify Q3 reports has been released, uh, and they're doing alright for themselves at the moment. I think the price increases are going to be gradual, and it'll stop people thinking too much about the alternatives. Because like, the the way it was basically set out is, and it's been at that price for probably longer than I thought it would be. I thought, you know, the £10 a month or whatever would be kind of the first few years of streaming to get people on board. And then they'd start to charge more once they had the user base, but it's held for quite a while. Yeah. Because I, I, that value proposition was you could buy one album a month or you could listen to every album ever released whenever you want it. On, on the go if you want to download it that way right it, it's quite hard to argue if they suddenly change it people start thinking oh well what else could i do but if they do it a pound at a time or whatever every year or so i don't think anyone's really gonna bat many eyelids and uh, the other interesting thing with oh sorry go ahead just to come back on that briefly um the Interesting thing as well, like I mentioned, is that from a marketing perspective, they've waited until the competition have raised their prices before raising their own. That is, you know, everyone else has raised themselves, raised their prices by a dollar or two. So we may as well do the same because either the market is very happy with it or we're not going to look out of place if we do have slightly higher prices than usual. Yeah, now, no, there are no, if Spotify... If Spotify had have been first, there would have been the headlines saying, oh, Spotify's raising their prices and everything. Mm. But because it was some of the other ones, they get the bad press and Spotify just gets to raise their prices for free. Basically. Exactly. And the other thing is that I, I double-checked while you were talking, Tom, Spotify still haven't launched their hi-fi tier, which was supposed to launch last year after five years of trials and rumours, mm -hmm. um, which is presumably like Tidal do a more expensive tier where you get better quality music um and obviously you pay more for that which is another potential source of higher revenue per customer for, for spotify obviously in that space they've got more competition with amazon already kind of having an established user base in the space tidal being well known cobuzz being big and apple music offering it at the same price as their regular tier it'll be harder for them to kind of eke out a space but Honestly, it's it's almost free money for them to be like, oh, we'll just flip the switch, make all of our releases be able to go high quality and get people to pay more for it. Exactly. I presume probably what's stopping them from doing that is just logistical reasons. Probably it's going to be a bit more difficult for them, firstly, to store um, higher bitrate music um, purely because... It's slightly higher bitrate and therefore they're slightly bigger files. Do they need some more server space to do that? That's not a big issue, actually, in the grand scheme of things. But probably it's a case of there are logistical challenges with indicating what is um, uh, yeah, 192 kilobits per second, what is the top quality audio and what's just usual digital streaming audio. The other thing also that's probably stopping them is if they can do anything to help... Uh, performance under those circumstances because again high quality audio more data therefore it's going to take longer to download a song spotify is quite good at having a fairly seamless experience when it comes to downloading albums as long as you've got enough signal to like you know, get going in the first place i can go through you know tunnels and i can go through like complete dead spots and trains and i can still continue to listen to music that isn't downloaded um presumably just because when they have the bandwidth they'll just download the files as quickly as they can um so maybe that's stopping them as well. This might ruin my cred with the, the audiophile crowd, but lossless or like high quality music on your phone is basically pointless. On phone, yeah. Like what's the how many people are carrying around their like mojo poly 
thingy-majigs or their high-quality DACs to be able to listen to music on good quality head. No, everyone uses Bluetooth headphones that have lossy encoding sending to them. Like, uh, it's just, yeah. It's um that that's the question that's the question as well because even then like the the premium tiers are only well the the like you said the high quality audio tier is only like what double the price of regular premium so it's like twenty dollars a month versus ten dollars a month so okay is that how much music is worth now is that the top rate it kind of there's an interesting philosophical question there of uh how much could Spotify or any platform indeed like a challenger charge if they said well listen, artists aren't being paid an awful lot. You're paying a bit more money than you would do on other platforms so you can help support those artists. Um, you know, a, a Patreon, shall we say, for Spotify instead. Uh, an interesting thought experiment. And again, like those high-quality audio platforms are not that much more expensive in the scheme of things. They're double the price, but actually it's still a fairly cheap price given that you've still got access to, like you said, an, un an unlimited library of music. Let's get us on to the review for this week. We're looking at Blue Rev by Always. Released on the 7th of October 2022 on Transgressive Records. It clocks in at 38 minutes and 57 seconds. It's 14 tracks long. It's the Canadian band's third album. Bandcamp user Spires19 uh, says, Listen to this for a straight week. Doesn't make any comments on the quality, but... Oh. They did listen to it for a, a whole week. Isn't that just so. us? <laughs> that is pretty much this format. Right, let's go on to general thoughts. James, what did you think of the album? I thought the album was just great. Um, I, in general, I just love the overall sound, the sound of the instruments, the sound of the vocals, and how they all work together and how they're mixed together mostly. Um, yeah, it, it feel it feels well produced and clear and yeah, I really like it when the album explores different types of instruments or synth sounds. Um, and for me, that's really where it shines a lot. Um, I do think sometimes it can, it does. It does play on like a wall of sound. A lot of the tracks have this, they start like really loud and have this big wall of sound, which sometimes it does it well. Sometimes it gets overplayed a little bit, but I feel like where that's played on too much, other tracks do make up for it. And yeah, like I said, the vocals are really great sounding and most of the time the lyrics are pretty good too. And yeah, the, just the way the instruments work together and and specifically the guitar. Like most of the time the guitar's coming in at the end doing its own little thing. And but when that comes in, it's just it's just really awesome. The sound of the guitar is really awesome all the time. Um the the bass and the drums are also pretty solid. Yeah, and I just think it's a really solid album and I think it's something that I'm gonna want to revisit. Tom? Um, I hope this isn't just me. You remember, like, in, like, the tuck shop next to school, uh, at secondary school when you were, like, 15, you could buy, like, those sugar straws, whatever they were, just literally just a little plastic straw full of sugar. It feels like a pack of, like, 15 of them. Sure, it's but... quite nice. <laughs> it's, like, it, whether it is me or not, just, like, it, this felt like a bunch of really short, super sweet, um... Sugar Rushes, which was really, really nice. This has got enough variation where it doesn't feel boring or it outstays its welcome. I noticed the, what, like, the the longest track on here is like, what, 3 minutes 20, 3 minutes 30? 3 minutes 24, that's the longest track on this album. Most of them are 3 minutes or less. Some of them are 2 minutes, which really gave it a lot of energy. Um, I like how committed they are to short song formats on this. I wonder how that plays out live, though, um, whether you're going to get like to the end of the tracks and go, I was just getting into that. Um, but this is good, though. 
this was 14 tracks that all deserved their place that didn't outstay their welcome. My only gripe is my usual gripe with this is that I couldn't see much of a narrative in terms of an album. There are 14 amazing tracks here. I don't quite see yet how they all fit together, but that's also because I've been exposed to it for like uh, a week and no more. This is great. There are also some moments that really, really surprised me. Um in terms of vocal and melodic lines, in terms of musical choices as well. This was fun and weird and a bit quirky. Um, this was good. I like this. I was a big fan of Always first two albums. And it's funny you mention uh, Sugary Sweets, Tom, because on their previous album, Anti-Socialites, they did have a song called Lollipop. So Fine. there you go. Fits. Um, this one, I feel like, puts a, a whole new spin on their sound. And and kind of like you were saying, James, is that kind of wall of sound, shoegazy, big reverbs type thing. Um, it, to me, all of the kind of additions to what they do sounded very British, which was a, a bit of an interesting kind of thread to tie it all together. Obviously, shoegaze is the, kind of the banner thing where right from the offset, they're hitting you with the kind of woozy pitch bending guitars and and big reverbs but as you get further into the album there are post-punk influences like 80s synth pop influences even like kind of early buzzcocks type style punk influences so it all it all does kind of stem from british music which is a bit of an interesting uh direction for them as they kind of have on their previous two albums, they're kind of injecting all of these little stories and characters into the songwriting that makes it all really engaging throughout. And like you said, Tom, the pace is rapid on this album. Like the, the opening tracks were kind of some of the big singles. I didn't even really notice until I'd listened to the album a few times that they're, they're like two minutes. They really do go in and out, but it takes you through the whole journey of like, We've got a verse and a chorus and a verse and a chorus and then a big guitar solo and then we're finished. It feels like you've gone through the whole journey with the track, but everything's just polished within like an an inch of it just disappearing, and it it's just really well crafted. And I actually saw them live on the day that their previous album came out way back in 2017. Um, I don't worry that these songs aren't going to work live. I think it's going to be great. Right, with that out of the way, let's get on to individual tracks. The album opens with Pharmacist, which opens with the, that big shoegaze sound, big guitars. I really like the drum tones, actually, and across the, the whole album, they're quite kind of snappy and quite kind of top-heavy, which you might not think would work in a kind of shoegaze sound, but because the basses are also quite big, it kind of fills in the, the layer underneath, and then the drums kind of sit on top. Um, the vocal melodies in the verse on this one are great and they're pretty much just as catchy and memorable as the ones in the chorus as well. Um, and like I was saying, yeah, it's really short. It gets you in and out and it's it just has some great lines like talking about seeing your sister at the pharmacy and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just a, a catchy intro to the record. Really weird blend of, like you said, Shuge's influence is really obvious, really blown out, really floaty and, uh, what's the right word, blurry guitars almost was the phrase that came to mind uh, with like <laughs> provincial lyrics. Again, just seeing your sister at the pharmacy. Okay, got a job there for the summer last year, did you? Um, but also it's delivered in this almost like, I don't know, like a punk rock format. It just is relentless. Suddenly you go from like, um, in, in the sense that everything is just so quick, you just go from verse into chorus and then back into verse and then into chorus and you're done. There's barely any time to stop, but that's also really made it a great track and a great album just for listening to in the background. Because I can just let this all float by. I'm not getting bored of it. It's just gone before I even know it's there. Um, this is cool. The sort of improvised... Not really a guitar solo, a guitar noise at the end I wasn't a fan of, but again, that's because I'm a bit of a purist. This was fun though. This is a really cool and weird way to open up the album. And I love that commitment to a short song format as well, in and out. Yeah, this, this first track really displays what the album is 
all about, really, doesn't it? Just big, massive sound. I really enjoyed the vocal lines as well. I do feel like the vocals got lost in the back a little bit at some points. Um, and I think the lyrics are fine, but for me, it just didn't make sense at some point. But I guess that's kind of the point. Um, and yeah, it, it, there wasn't too much for me to grasp in this um, track, but until the end with the guitar, which I really enjoyed, actually. I, th I thought it was awesome. So that's my takeaway from this track. I think with the songwriting style on, on the whole record, that there's not many concrete elements. It's not really telling that kind of through story. It's more just kind of vague references to things that might have happened. And I think, yeah, it's not going to do it for everyone, but I quite like the kind of random tidbits of things that have happened over the last five years, I guess. The opening of the next track, I think, is uh, actually a really great moment at the beginning of the album, where going from that big guitar solo, you get this kind of fuzzed out, pitch-shifting intro with drum machines, and it, it gives you like that moment of time to kind of recover after the end of the previous track before it then comes back in being big guitars again in, in the main track. The... um. That intro is really nice. The way it's laid out after that as well, the way that the bass line is sort of intricate to the melody line and the way that the guitars create this, not a wall, but a bed, a pillow almost for the rest of the track to lay on. It's got this wonderful positive and yet brooding sound to it. You know, it's not like it's a negative sound by any means. It's not like it's dark and it's mysterious. It's also not overtly happy it's quite and it's slightly melancholy i don't know how else to describe it go and listen to it and you might see what i mean but it's got a really nice tone to it and it's got a really nice tonality to it which i really appreciate um yeah and again it, it's one of those songs where the lyrics come so quickly that i don't quite know what's being said but i can still get behind the emotion which is very strange um yeah, you can just sort of read bits into it, yeah, even if you don't get all of the lyrics as you listen to it. It's interesting there, because you did basically kind of pick out the whole kind of main feeling of the song, which is, I mean, the lyrics are talking about kind of being broken up with and kind of thinking, like, will these things be better when she's by herself and stuff like that? So is this kind of positive take on a negative situation so yeah it seems like they've kind of married the music quite well to it i think for me molly rankin the vocalist she a lot of the time her vocals are quite simple they don't go far reaching they don't do like extraordinary things but like the bridge in this like every the end of every few lines like it just sounds so great when she gets gets into those higher places. It just, yeah, it's like chef's kiss. It's really good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I think this this song would be really attractive for some people, less for me, but I do still think it's providing that big sound that they they just do really really well. The next track is After the Earthquake, and it, it opens with a very always-style guitar. Like It sounds like something off their debut album. Um, it's kind of, kind of being hit. Obviously, you get Molly Rankin's vocals in the first two tracks, but it's the first time where it's like, oh, this is an always album. It's got that kind of jangly tone to it. Um, and I, I do quite like that the song is incredibly fast-paced. Like it, it sounds like... You know how bands record a version of the song and then when they play it live, they play a few BPM faster just because it, it's more fun to do it that way. It sounds like they wrote it and then they went and they played it live for a few years and then they've come back and recorded it the way that they play it live and it's just blisteringly fast. Um, and you get some kind of nice softer moments as well where there's kind of a breakdown halfway through that feels very much like their sophomore record with kind of woozy synths and softer vocals as well. So you're getting a bit of kind of 
everything from their past and what they're trying to do on this record as well on this track. Yeah, I love that jangly, almost John Mayer sounding guitar at the start. It's just, it's so delightful. Um, and this one feels more cohesive uh, between the instruments and the vocals. It's just, it sounds a bit clearer than the first two for me. Um, and yeah, it gets into those quiet, quieter moments and it's just something a little bit different um, from the first two and it, it, they do it really well. Um, and yeah, again, the guitar sounds really, really awesome. Um, I don't know if I've got much more to add. Um, I like the fact that this also plays with dynamics. The fact that two minutes into a three minute song, we've suddenly gone to this uh, quiet, mellow, broody bridge and then it builds up again in moments. Again, just the energy, the speed at which it happens is really nice, but also they're not afraid to have those breaks in there. Again, I like... I like I like some good dynamics. I like some loud and soft moments. And this has got a good balance of both. Well, the next track, Tom Verlaine, brings kind of a softer moment compared to everything else on the record. With a more spacey vocal. It kind of brings the pace down a bit. I don't really have anything else to add particularly about the track. I don't think it does anything really stand out, but it's just kind of a generally well-written song, I think. Yeah, for me, I've kind of grouped this with the next track, Pressed. I think they both get straight into it. Um, like they have been, obviously, a little bit softer. Um, they both have some varying elements, um, which they have been bringing to the tracks. But I don't know. It, the, these ones just didn't capture me as much. They didn't. I don't think they really displayed what they can do. Um, but yeah, like I said in my summary, I do think other tracks in this album make up for it. The, um, it could just be my ear not picking up on it, but these tracks also have some synthesizers start to appear. I didn't, certainly didn't hear them prominently in the last couple of tracks, but they seem to become a lot more prevalent in... Tom Verlaine and him pressed as well. And it seems to sort of come in and out throughout the rest of the album, which is just a nice little bit of extra color. I don't know where they were in the first three tracks, but certainly I didn't notice them before uh, these two tracks. And certainly in many mirrors, it becomes a lot more obvious. Pressed for me felt like quite a different track. It, it, had, it sounded quite Smith's influenced for me. It just had that kind of Johnny Marr sounding guitar riffs. And I, I, one element I really liked about it was it's not even going into a different section. It's like kind of the end of the first half of the verse. Uh, Ranking kind of strains her voice a bit and it just has a really nice tone to it and, and adds a bit of dynamism at kind of a random point in the track um, to just kind of keep keep you engaged which i i thought was a, a nice technique let's get on to many mirrors then this for me felt like the first kind of more pop imp, like pop sounding track on the record it had that kind of sugary sound that you were talking about tom um and yeah it brings in a lot more synths kind of opens up the the sound into that realm as well that it goes on to do a lot more in the rest of the record Loads of FM synth, you know. I love me FM synth. Um, yeah, this was nice. Noticeably slower than the earlier tracks. Noticeably a little quieter as well. Um, we're getting to that point of the album where my ears will either become tired or I'll tune out a little bit. But the fact that this was a little bit more dynamic and this was a little bit more... This had been mixed and mastered in a particular way where peaks don't occur that often it's a loud album but it's not harsh um and i really appreciated it i like the fact that this was still uh really good and refreshing and i still found a lot to hear in the album at this point um even really complex but it's like half, about halfway through like you've got 
goodness knows how many layers of reverb and guitar and vocals and synths and whatever else going on, but I can pick them all out. It's been mixed really, really nicely. So appreciated. Audio nerd appreciates. Yeah, this one definitely has uh, better dynamics and um, the the sound instrumentation just works better for me. I still think it might fail to have that X factor and that is possibly because it leads more into that pop realm. But yeah, it's, it's a nice sounding song. The next track, Very Online Guy, kind of carries on that theme of going even more synth forward, I felt. Um, and one element that I thought really works for this track and sets it apart from the rest of the album was how they experiment with vocal styles, where in the verses her vocals are very dry in a way that I haven't heard on one of their tracks before. Um, and then in the second verse, you get these like weird pitch-shifting sounds happening on the vocal in the background as well. Um, so it just gives some kind of variety into the vocal performances as well as the instrumentation. Yeah, I can't quite tell what it is. It's like sort of, it's either like a chamber reverb or some sort of gated reverb, but it's a really cool little effect. The way that the synth riff also pulls the song, firstly, it's the first track that does that, um, that I can tell, certainly where the riff is an, uh, the synth is an intrinsic part of the uh, composition. But also the riff itself, I can't quite tell, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's almost like something uh, that Talking Heads might do or something that, um, there was something else that came to mind as well. Oh, um, it'll it'll come to me, but it's, it's evoking a lot of associations for me, which I didn't quite uh, appreciate. The Human League is what I was thinking of for some reason. Um, clicked in my mind that another... Uh, 80s influence might be to blame there but it was a really nice sound something I didn't expect and it was just a nice little bit of ear candy at this stage and again lots of dynamics another quiet bridge which builds back up um, into later sections and some nice strings oh good strings good synth strings yeah this one was incredible um, really cool synth sound for the intro and it's it's a different sound that I've sort of been craving um, through this album. Um, yeah, the, the vocals effects sound, makes it sound even more interesting. Just those, those two elements just work so well together. Um, I was hoping, Tom, that you'd kind of trigger something in my brain to remind me of what it reminds me of. Um, maybe it's the talking head influence there. Maybe, maybe it's not. Um, but yeah, it's very reminiscent of things, but it still has their own flavor to it. Um, and towards the end, the like the singular reverberating notes of the guitar, very subtle thing. Um, but when they come in, it's, it's that little last bit, that little extra garnish to the to the song amongst these like really big sounds, but it just works so well. Um, I really enjoyed this track. I wonder how many people are thinking that now. Just like, yeah, what is that riff actually? What does that remind me of? Anyone who's listened to the album and is feeling the same way that we do about that, uh, about that synth riff, write in and let us know where you think it's from because we can't figure it out. Email us at amutedmaster.gmail.com. Well, there's the plug. <sighs> uh, the next track is Velveteen, which is probably the song I've listened to the most after the album's come out. Uh, it, it just goes really hard into the kind of the 80s synth pop, even in, in kind of the lyrics as well, where you get her singing about kind of working out and stuff like that. Like it just kind of embodies the 80s in a way. Um, and I, I love that theme of, of I don't know if everyone's listened to the lyrics particularly closely, but she's singing about like her partner, like working out and her seeing him like doing stuff. And she's basically saying, like, oh, he must be doing this for who's the other girl because, like, it can't be me that, like, why would he do that for me? Which is, like, yeah, just an interesting concept and different way to kind of go about it. Um, and the other thing I really wanted to mention was the falsetto at the end, which is, I think, really good. And there's this really great moment where it kind of bends up 
and as the vocal kind of goes into the background and it just has this really like classic sound to it like i i couldn't name a song where i've heard that before but i know it must there must be tons of them where where that technique's used and it it's yeah just nice to hear it in a modern track that yeah that this the synth sound on this i call it glassy but really not a, when you listen to it you might not call it glassy but that's that's how i described it and it's just it's so lovely um and it is again it's full on with all the sounds but it really works here and i really love the 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 tune between the verses and choruses um it just knits everything together really nicely um and every part of the song is different from other parts as in one verse not going to sound like the other verse is there's still there's always a little bit of a change there and yeah that that falsetto in the end is just really great the strings backing up the vocals at the end i can't remember where they're from as well that's reminding me of something it's, it's not video killed the radio star um by the bungles i just checked that by the bungles i've just checked that um i can't remember what they reminded me of but yeah another really lovely track my only question at this point is the usual question i have for an album is the could it have stayed on a quiet moment for longer um all these tracks are built up. All of them use dynamics really nicely, but none of them hang around to be a quiet track. None of them hang around to be like, you know, a deep cut, particularly. Um, I wonder what a song like that would have sounded like on this album. But yeah, really, really nice. Keeping up the same uh, feeling, the same momentum that, was, that there was in the others. Tile by tile, the next track. I feel like could have been that moment for the album. But because it's so condensed down, because it could have had a like a really slow moment and that could have lasted for a while and then it built up after the three minute mark. But because it's been condensed down to two minutes and like 58 seconds or whatever, it does kind of rush through it, I guess, a bit. Um, but I really quite enjoyed how it, the intensity builds over the track, especially after lots of these songs are kind of, they're big straight away or they're kind of slower and kind of a bit more methodical. This one is really small at the beginning and then builds and particularly in the choruses where they repeat by the end that they're, they're like way more built up than at the beginning this was like shades of a i don't know a london grammar track or a wolf alice track which i really really appreciated this was a really nice way to bring a slightly more i don't know airy sultry air to the album this was nice i really really appreciated the extra flavor that this gave and again i think i probably review will it's a case of what if this was 10 or 20 bpm slower what would that song have felt like versus the rest of the album um and i wonder whether that could have been a bit, a bit more differentiated but it's really nice the again it's really nicely mixed sounds and um, instruments are really nicely controlled as well. Nothing feels out of place. Nothing feels wild. It feels like they were looking for a sound. They really honed in on it with a track. Again, another good one. Really good. I don't know if this just when we were recording this or it, like the organ sound in in the track, but this felt like a, like um a song that you could put on a Halloween playlist. Um, I thought it was a great sound. Um, I love how the vocals were kind of... I mean, I called this a negative in one of the previous tracks, but they they were they they were in the back, but they still felt central to the track. Don't know how that works, but yeah, that's how I that's how I listened to this track. Um, it does sound very different from anything I else I've heard on this album, but also just in general, it just sounds very different. Um. And then there's these like little guitar bits come in and out. And it's really good. And then there's sort of like a theremin sound towards the end, which is just like a nice little thing to have. And it just puts a cherry on top on the top of this track. 
Pomeranian spinster kind of takes it to the whole other end of the energy spectrum, where whereas tile by tile starts off being soft and ethereal and haunting, I guess, uh, it it's just full-on punk energy on the next one. And I really like the tone of the guitars, because it sounds very like 60s punk, where it's they don't have much top end in them. It does just sound like they've taken a kind of old amp and cranked it up all the way, and that's the sound they've got out of it. Also in the, the vocal delivery, again, Rankin's kind of switching it up, where she's almost like spitting the lyrics out in the way that you'd expect, like... Um, like the Sex Pistols or or bands like that to do. Obviously, it, it's a, maybe a bit more tuneful than one of those bands, but yeah, I think it, it's a welcome change of pace at this point. Yeah, this one, it was like very full on the sound. It, very punky, I guess. Yeah, like you said, um, but it, it was still just really clear, um, even though, yeah, it was very full, but it was still really clear. And I also enjoyed the the vocals and the line, Pomeranian Spinster, the name of the track. Just that line felt so catchy. And it's just those little hooks in songs where you, you don't expect it to be like a catchy thing, but it is. And it, yeah, it's just, it sounds so cool. So cool sounding. Um, and there's this lovely guitar solo bit at the end, which it is really simple, but still it's just really impactful all this track nothing much right on this one i think for the rest of the tracks i'm not gonna have a ton to say because a lot of it's kind of already been said not that these songs are lesser than any of the previous ones just that it's kind of they're great songs but they're in a similar style so there's just not not much of interest to add. Uh, the next one, Belinda says, The I think the most different part of it is kind of towards the end, you get the key change, which is a, a nice little touch to add a bit of intrigue to the track. Um, but otherwise, it's maybe a bit more straightforward or it's kind of just using the tools that have been set up previously on the album to deliver something engaging. Note to self, I need to add more key changes in my music because this was a track that I kept coming back to, actually. The way that the energy suddenly shifted and the track suddenly lifted at that point when there's a key change, really, really nice. Um, and I don't know whether it's just a change in register or because they went to the say, it went because they went to F major. I was reminded of, um, oh gosh, Eric Carmen, Hungry Eyes. Um, suddenly got vibes of that for a moment um, because we changed into that key. Um, really, really nice. I loved how much energy this brought at this, kind, this point in the album. Every time I listened through to it with, without paying much attention to it, this was a moment that I came back to and went, nice. Suddenly it's anchored me. Suddenly it's put me somewhere um, in this album. And it's got really, really good energy as well. I like the even though this is the same size as the other ones and it's a similar format, it's got its own little personality to it. But I would agree. My usual gripe with albums is that they do one thing very, very well. Where is the where's the deep cut? Where's the quiet moment? Haven't quite got to that stage yet. And I don't think this quite delivers it. Yeah, this this track really teases you with a quiet moment at the start. Like the first few seconds is like, okay. We're on a quieter song, but no, it it brings back that big wall of sound that they've been doing pretty well. Um, yeah, so I, I was kind of annoyed with the song at first for doing that, um, but it, I I fell in love with the song basically. Um, I really enjoyed how it, when it when it dropped to a quieter quieter part within the track. Um, yeah, it did that really lovingly and it, go, it goes into like an orchestra sound and then the vocals and it just just sounds, sounds it sounds so brilliant and it phases into that so well and with the key change it's like one of the best key changes i've heard in a long time like 
it's so natural and it plays into that key change so well and it's not jarring it just, it sounds like it's supposed to be there um and yeah the guitar's great as well board in bristol i think does deliver on that quieter moment where the it gives you something quite different than anything else on the record it's kind of this big change of tone and it to me i guess the closest i could get to describing it is it's kind of like sped up or more positive beach house it has that kind of classic songwriting sound to it that they they pull off so well um and yeah this is one of my standout songs on the album which is somewhat surprising for an album that does the big track so well that kind of this quieter moment uh is so memorable um and one kind of small detail that i'd draw people's attention to is if you listen to come at one of the background synths there's one that has like a really nice portamento like a glide sound to it if you listen to like just at the end of the first chorus you can hear it quite clearly where it kind of jumps between two notes and that's just like a it's a small bit of sound design, but it adds a, a lot more personality to the synth. I did check. This is most likely not Bristol in the UK. This is probably Bristol in um, Ontario, Canada. Now I've got to look it up again. Um, Don't ruin it for me, Tom. <laughs> oh, so so sorry. Yeah, it, it was actually it was actually about hanging around. Um, just on college green you know waiting for your mates no um i can't remember if i had much to say about this track or not <laughs> yeah it wasn't quite there it was just a little bit again a little bit too fast a little bit too not bright it was just a little bit too busy drums are still quite prominent and prominent in the background there's still a lot of um glassiness to it i kind of wondered if like again those synths from earlier if you just took that with a vocal accompaniment what that would have done for uh for a album like this but as is life this is still a nice little track um and the little vocal hook um that goes around always waiting always waiting that was a really really nice little texture that was something that i picked up on the first time i listened to this um yeah Another good album, good track. I didn't think this one was the, like the catchiest of them, but I feel like it's really solid and it's really easy to listen to. Um, and yeah, it, it's approachable. Um, I didn't notice the the stuff they did with the Simps and stuff. Um, I probably should listen back through this, um, but I did like the baseline in this. Um, at some points, it was quite simple going along with the notes, but then in other points, it was, yeah, going along an arpeggio for, for that chord, but in a different way than you expected. I'm not really sure, but it just sounded really nice, and it it added some color to the track, which wasn't there previously. Also, there's a little more relatable to me than uh, being bored waiting for public transport in a city called Bristol. So they they win points for that. The last two tracks I'm going to kind of group together because it's not that they're not strong. It's just that one of them's about a minute long and the other one does a lot that's just kind of been done on other tracks. So the first of which, Lottery Noises... It's a strong song, but I just haven't spent much time with it because it sounds an awful lot like other tracks on the record. Um, and at track 13, even though it's not that long, it does feel like you've got through quite a lot because there are so many tracks, even if they're they're quite sanded down. And the final one, Fourth Figure, um, I really like that there's a string sound. I don't know if it's a synth or if it's like sounding like a really old sampler or something like that. Um, but that it kind of blended in nicely with all of the other synth sounds. It was kind of this quiet close to the album, which is an interesting way to go for them. So overall strong, but kind of not a hugely memorable end of the album. Yeah, 100% agree with that. It's not... It, it's a solid last two tracks, but 
yeah, I have hardly any notes on them. Um, not particularly memorable, but I don't think it's ruining the album. It's 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 pretty good end. Yeah, and this was a slight issue that I had with it. It's a good, it's a great album to have on in the background. Nothing else says us welcome. Nothing feels like it's being forced. Um, but there are some musical ideas that it's not like I wish they stuck on it for longer because they all work within the context of a song. But again, I just, again, through the second half, I wished for a bit more variety, which wasn't quite there, um, which was a pity. Right, let's ask the all-important question. Should our listeners check this album out? James? Yeah, definitely. Tom? Um, yeah, this was fun. Go and listen to it. Yeah, I'd say un- unless you desperately need really clear upfront vocals in your music, this is one for pretty much everyone. Right, let's get to rankings. As always, rankings are in the description for listeners. Um, where would we like to put Blue Rev by always? Mm. Top half, not the top 10, however. I don't know where it goes in the teens, but it's probably somewhere around there. I would say it could sneak into the top 10. Maybe not like top five, but five to 10. It, that might do it for me. I'd like to put this at number two. My God, really? Wow. I think this is great. Front to back, the songwriting's great. They've chosen interesting influences to draw from. I think it, it's going to be an album that just gets better the more you listen to it, partly based on my knowledge of their previous two. I don't know whether it's got the same that shelf life, because for me, an album should be, it's not just a multi-week thing or a multi-month thing, it's a multi-year thing. I don't know whether it's got that depth. Um, And again, I'm just craving something that it didn't quite have, similar to a lot of albums which are placed in the teens, hence why I am... Um, Really to get to you then again, teacher last week, somewhere around the late teens for me in my mind. I think I said, I can't quite remember what I did say last week. Um, I'm gonna get pulled up on that. Um, but yeah, just didn't quite have that story, didn't quite have the progression that I want in an album, which I did get very, very sudden and solid first and second half with Let's See Grandma. Backcountry New Rover just all over the place. Uh, let's be honest, a bong JR again had movements, it had scores. There was like three or four different parts to it. I didn't quite see that in this. Where would you like us to start then, Tom? Uh, where would I like to start? Number... Ooh. Twenty. It's not going to stay there, but let's start at twenty. Goodness, it's going to take a long time. <laughs> this could take a while. <laughs> Not that long. I'm just going to say right now, until we get to Black Country New Road, if you ask me, should it go above, my answer is going to be yes. So <laughs> just so to save a few me. seconds. Basically, James, it, it's where do you want to put it? Okay, give me a minute. My, my honest answer is it would go, it would go, in my mind, it goes below More Mother. So it will be number 18 in my mind. Okay. I think so, it's, James, basically, yeah. you get to decide. So I think this album. Maybe it's a genre, but I just generally just love it way more than those middle middle um, albums in our listings. Um, so, yeah, I like it more than Sokka Mummy. I love it more than Steve Lacey, Bonobo, um, and albums like that. And that's why I said top 10. Um, the more I listen to Ibibio Sound Machine, the more I like it, but then also... I can solidly solidly say that I like this this album this week more than Oliver Sims album. Um I don't think I liked it more than Oso Oso. I don't know about Ebong JR, but I think it would go around that five to ten range, like I've been saying, and I think possibly at number five. Yeah. Number five? 
There we go. Always going at number five with Blue Rev. Boom. Big changes. Caitlin Aurelia Smith is now at number 10 on the cusp of falling out the top 10. I wanted to put that at number two as well. Right, that's it for our album review this week. Tom, do you have a gig review for us? Oh, yes, I do indeed. Uh, let's eat grandma. Last week, two days before Will and I saw Japanese Breakfast, I was in Bristol on another evening, on a Tuesday evening, and I firstly uh, went to my first ever gig on a boat. I went to Fekla for the first time uh, in Bristol, and I saw Let's Eat Grandma, um, who, funnily enough, speaking of number twos, are also number two on the list at the moment, thanks to mine and Jess's recommendation from memory. Um... I was curious. The album captured me enough that I wanted to go and see them. So Nice One Girls managed to sell a gig ticket because he had a good album. Um, this was a really, really fun gig. It wasn't particularly technical. It wasn't particularly um, extraordinary. Like, firstly, Fekla, it seems as though it was a very difficult venue to sound check. It is a boat with lots of big metal surfaces everywhere and also some low ceilings. It must be an absolute nightmare to be on the sound desk. Um, although I did speak to the um, chap who was on desk um, anyway. He was a touring... Um, he was he was a sound engineer touring with the band, um, so he'd never been to the gig before. Seemed to sound all right. Seemed reasonable enough, um, but it was a little, the mix was a little bit imbalanced. Um... They play for about, what was it, an hour 10, an hour 15, something like that. Their stage banter was pretty much non-existent. Um, not a lot of interaction with the crowd, but also I think they were just having a good time um, doing um, Hopscotch and the Macarena and occasionally um, doing instrumental parts of their songs. It was that kind of gig where both of them were happy just to do a little dance routine a la Haim or a la Taylor Swift. And like there was a really good energy. There were also some moments where the crowd just completely went for it. I seem to remember Happy New Year was quite a big number. Um, there was something else from Two Ribbons which came up and I can't remember what it was come on brain levitation was another good one as well um vocals were not quite delivered in the same fashion as the album um high notes were a little bit difficult for both singers but that's fine I think they were just resting their voices because I think they are on a multi-date tour um and also it's hard to do on stage uh, versus being in the studio. The other thing that really sold me on this show, not as a particularly like amazing one, but just as a really good and enjoyable gig, like they had so many like random instruments that they would bring out for like a minute and then put away again. Their guitars, their keyboards, they had um, a, a, a glockenspiel at one point, like just to do a couple of scanned notes and then it would go away again. It was just buried there in the, on the stage. There was an alto saxophone, which was somewhere buried behind the um, speakers in Fekla. So the stage goes behind the speakers of Fekla, and that meant that there were occasionally points where one of the members would just run off um, to go and do the sax solo, and you couldn't see where it was coming from because they were behind the speaker column. But there we go. Um, it was just fun. It just seems like they both having just a good time playing music together, which kind of fits in with the whole... Um, purpose of the album the whole feeling of the album it was just a fun show i sadly didn't get there in time to see the um support act so i don't know what they were like um but this was a great show um let's see grandma good show right let's get on to upcoming releases uh not too much coming out this week but a few big ones french band phoenix are releasing their new album alpha zulu uh, they released quite a good single with Ezra Koenig from Vampire Weekend um, that's worth checking out. Daniel Avery, who's quite quickly become one of the biggest names in techno, is releasing a new album called Ultra Truth. Next up, First Aid Kit. Not a band I'm particularly interested in, but I thought the other hosts might be releasing a new album called Palomino. Yum, okay. Australian indie rock band Last Dinosaurs are releasing their new album from Mexico with Love. I haven't particularly fallen for the singles on this one, but I like the band in general, so I'm hoping it'll be good. And finally, uh, a smaller artist that I found today as I was looking for releases, Olivia Barton's releasing an album called This Is A Good Sign. Um, I was just 
just saw her album art and I was intrigued. So I listened to some tracks. She sounds like quite a good kind of solo singer songwriter type. She's self-releasing the album. Give her a listen if you're interested. That's it for upcoming release and that's it for the show. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more from us, you should subscribe on your podcast service of choice. If you want to help the show grow, you could tell a friend about us. That'd be the best way to do it. If you want to hear from us throughout the week, you can follow us on Twitter at Unmuted Weekly or on Instagram at Unmuted Unmastered. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at the aforementioned email address, unmutedunmastered at gmail.com. I can now announce that the album for next week is... Carly Rae Jepsen's The Loneliest Time. Oh man, that'll be fun. <laughs>